0: All right. Thank you, Liam, very much. If you've got a Bible, turn with you to Mark chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. We're in this series, thanks, bud, where we are looking at the works of Jesus. So during uh, Advent, at the end of last year, we looked at the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, and how that impacts our lives and shapes the world. And then we've been carrying on then into the life of Jesus, specifically in the gospel of Mark, looking at things that he did in his life and the ways that they point to him as the Son of God, God's very Son, the only Son of God, and then how that then reveals the heart of the Father uh, to us. And then we will, as we come to Easter, the Easter season, we're gonna spend six weeks looking at the days of Holy Week, so sort of long in advance of... Uh, Holy Week, we're going to start looking at Holy Week and just ask what happened on Monday or Sunday, Palm Sunday, what happened on Monday, Tuesday, and just walk ourselves kind of through those last days of the life of Jesus so that we could understand and, and really take it in. So that's the roadmap for you. If it helps, we're going to look at one of the most famous miracles of Jesus, the only one that shows up in all four of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's where Jesus uh, multiplies a few fish and a few loaves to feed a large group of folks. And... If you're new to church or if you've never been to church before, my guess is you may have even heard this story. This may be one of those that you've heard uh, made reference to, and we're going to walk through it today. We're just going to try and enter into the narrative, if you will. We're going to walk through it. We'll pause, reflect a little bit on the things that we read, and just kind of move through it in that way in hopes of really, again, entering into the story and trying to feel the weight of what's taking place with each word and each action so that we can feel and learn about the heart of God for this. Well, as I was thinking about this week and this text specifically, I was thinking about when I was in college, uh, I helped a friend. We together started a prison ministry for juvenile inmates in the state of Texas. There's this thing called the Texas Youth Commission where kids who are violent offenders will be in prison but not with the adult population in prison. And so it's a bit of a tough spot, tough place. And uh, we just collected a group of college kids, and we would go in and mentor one-on-one these kids as well as and talk to them about Jesus. And, man, we got to see some amazing things happen in those years that we did that during the college years. And then we would also offer worship services on Sunday. So I'd go to church on Sunday, and then Sunday afternoon I'd go, and I would help uh, put on a worship service for these kids. And the very first time we were going to do it, it was one of the very first times ever. My friend Ashley, who was my kind of co-leader, that uh, was her co-leader, uh, she said to me, well, you're going to do the teaching. And I was like, I've never taught anything before. So it was one of my first times to ever try and stand up in front of a group of people and communicate the Bible to them. Uh, and so I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I didn't really have any training. I didn't really know what I was doing, uh, but I was thinking, well, I can, I can figure it out and I'll trust the Holy Spirit will give me what I need. And so we went in that day and uh, it was a really just wonderful group of kids, but something had happened that day. So the expectation was we were gonna do three services for, you know, um, they were going to bring these pods. They lived in pods. They were going to bring them together, multiple pods together. Well, there had been a fight in the cafeteria that day, and so there had been a lockdown. And so they said, well, you're still going to be able to do it, but you're going to have to, instead of doing three hour-long services, you're now going to do eight 20-minute services for the smaller groups because we can't bring the groups together. And so I remember thinking like, well, this is interesting And so my 20-minute talk turned into a five-minute talk that by the end of the eighth service, all my friends who were helping uh, were in the back mouthing the words that I was going to say before I said it because it was like verbatim what I'd said the previous seven times. And I was like, give me a break. This is not easy to do. And I just remember thinking like, this is hard. This is well beyond The ability that I have, the training that I have, the capacity that I have, everything about this is requiring more of me than I have to give. And the Lord kind of said, well, that's the point. So what I didn't know, and I can look back and, you know, put things in a broader perspective. The older you get, you kind of are able to look back and see. And in the moment, all I saw was uh, a challenge, a hurdle to overcome. And I remember feeling like, okay, I think we overcame that. I think God was honored and great. But I didn't think much about it beyond that. About six months later, I'd been praying for two and a half years during college about what God's call in my life was, what he was calling me to vocationally and in service to his body, and about six months later, I think it was about six months later, he made it very clear through a series of events, like, I'm calling you to be a pastor. What was so interesting was, six months prior to that, he was showing me something that was going to be a theme for my entire life, <laughs> which was, I am regularly going to put you in positions Where the thing that you need to do, you don't have the capacity for. You're going to need more than what you have. And I will give it to you. I'll give you what you need. And that was, it's been very comforting to think back on when I, um, when I, I've been here about 10 years now. Uh, And when God called me to this place to to serve you all as your senior pastor, lead pastor, I've never done that before. I'd been pastor in different capacities, but not been a senior pastor before. And, you know, you guys are awesome, but this place can be a little intimidating. Uh, And so I remember saying yes to that and that God called me to it. And my first day in the office, so my predecessor, Phil Thorne, was just a really godly, wonderful man and also a very brilliant man and very scholarly and, I mean, just thoughtful and wise. And I walked into the office that was his and that was gonna become mine and there were bookshelves just lining the wall. I mean, just every, every inch of the walls was covered in bookshelves. And I took every book that I had and I put them on those bookshelves. And there were three empty bookshelves. I mean, it was not even close. And I remember sitting in my office day one and laughing and sending a picture to some friends back home in Texas and to to my buddy uh, Baker, my college roommate, who's still one of my dear friends to this day. I sent him a picture and I said, let's hope that this is not a metaphor for the demands of this job and my capacity to meet them. (laughs) It was daunting, right? But that's exactly what we're gonna see in our text today. You know, every telling of this story of the feeding of 5,000, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell it, as I said. And every one of them emphasizes something different in that. John emphasizes something specific about the story. Matthew does, and Mark does. So does Luke. Mark, his emphasis isn't so much on Jesus' miraculous power to multiply the fish and loaves. That's in every story, and it's clear. It's obvious. But what I want you to pay attention to is that Mark's emphasis is on how this miracle impacts the disciples. He's not as focused on Jesus in this moment as he is what Jesus' work does in the lives of the disciples. How they feel a lack of capacity, how they don't feel like they have what they need, how they feel like the task in front of them is impossible, how they've had their expectations of what was going to happen frustrated. And he says, I'm gonna feed people through you. I'm gonna fill up that capacity. I'm gonna multiply. I'm gonna give you what you need. And if you've tried to serve Jesus in any capacity, you've probably had that experience where you go, the thing that is needed is more than I have. Yes? The thing that I've needed is more. As I was praying, I was thinking about our foster families who have said yes to stepping into foster care this week and how quite often the, that conversation looks like saying, man, the demands of this are, are bigger than my capacity. They're bigger than what I have to offer. And to that end, I would say we as a body have to lift up tired arms. Yes? To step in and say, I'm, "I'm here. What do you need?" and step in and help. But also, want us to understand, it is normal life with Christ to be called to do things that are beyond your capabilities. That's normal. And so, a question for all of us: as we just before I read the text, before I get into it, I just want to ask you this question: Are you serving the Lord, serving Jesus, anywhere that requires you to stretch? beyond your capabilities? Have you just said yes to kind of stuff that's pretty easy and not that challenging? Have you said no to God in places where you know he's saying step into this? Do it, do it, step into this. I'll multiply, I'll make enough. Or are you serving anywhere where you go? Yeah, it's, he has to keep showing up. He has to keep filling my needs you should be serving someone like that. It's not a guilt trip, it's just a reality of the way life in Christ looks, yes? So even as I say that and see some of your faces and maybe you're feeling something, I, I want you to feel that, but I want you to feel it so that you would experience the miraculous, amazing power of Jesus as you step into serving him. I'm gonna show you through the lives of the disciples how rich this is. So the question I want you to be, we're gonna try and ask and answer today is how do I Serve people in the name of Jesus when I don't feel like I have what is required or I feel like I'm completely out of gas. I feel like I just I have, I don't have any more to give or I don't have the right thing to give or I don't have enough to give. And that's the emphasis of Mark in the telling of this story. So it's the question I wanna see if we can ask and answer today. Everybody with me, yes? All right, so let's read a little bit and let's comment a little bit and we'll go back and forth like that. So how do we serve when we feel we don't have what we need. All right, let's start in verse 30. Let's read verse 30 to 34. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. That sounds pretty sweet. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Pay attention to that word. We've talked about it each week in this story. And he had compassion on them because, why? They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So let's pause there. This is the setup of the story. So, Mark's getting us into the the narrative. He's getting us into the story. By setting up a few things that are gonna create tension. Can you feel a little bit of the tension through some of the things that he said? So this first section, I'm calling rest and readiness, okay? Because here's what happens. Verse 30, we begin the story, and Mark is alluding back to that Jesus had sent the disciples out and says, go and proclaim the kingdom in my name. Go out and heal. Go out and cast out demons. Go out and do these mighty works. And they come back, and they have spent themselves. They've worked hard. I mean, they have really served well. So this is not a group of guys who are going, we've just been sitting on our hands. They've been out in work serving the Lord, and then they come back, and Jesus, they don't ask for rest. They don't say we really need a break. We need rest. Jesus says, come away. Let's go get some rest. And don't you imagine the disciples are going, yes, perfect. I love it. Thanks, Jesus. Jesus. They had to be thinking about that. Now, the other thing I want you to see here, so in that moment, the disciples are probably excited. We are being set up for a bunch of disappointed expectations. So the disciples expect one thing and something very different is about to happen. And as we read the story, that's what we're meant to feel that tension. How many of you find that some of the toughest moments in life, in your marriage with friends is when you have one set of expectations and then a different thing happens? It's a great reminder of our level of sanctification. It's a great place to look. How do I act when what I expect to happen does not happen? We had a staff prayer, an elder retreat planned on that um, Friday when it snowed. And so we had to, I had, I had all these, I had planned it out. I had wonderful two half days of prayer planned for us. I, we were ready to go, I was excited, here we go, and then we got snowed out. And I remember thinking, Lord, really? And just getting frustrated and being like, well now I gotta shrink down two days into one day, this isn't gonna work, I don't know what you want me to do. How am I supposed to lead? How am I supposed to pull the, you know? And the Lord just said, hey, easy, easy, buddy. I don't know if that's exactly what he said. It wasn't an audible voice, but it kind of felt like a little bit of like, "I need you to stop." The Lord was just like, "Yeah, you're not all that mature, like you might think you are, because the second one of your plans doesn't happen the way you think it ought to happen, you get all bent out of shape." The Lord took me aside. He said, "All right, let's change that." That's what's happening here with the disciples. They've been out. They've served well and God has moved mightily, and they're ready for rest, and Jesus even says, let's come away, and let's have rest, and then those expectations get changed. They don't happen. I want you to see something here that is, it's kind of hidden in the story. You have to kind of know all four accounts. When Matthew tells the story, Matthew has a way of Mark kind of takes the timeline very like boom, 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 and very much in order, and Matthew kind of shrinks timelines together in a way that's not always super linear, but Matthew, when he tells the story, he tells it in a different way, because right before this moment, he doesn't emphasize that the disciples have been out serving. He tells us that John the Baptist has just died, been murdered, I should say, and the grief of Jesus, and so Jesus himself is saying, I'm going to go away with the disciples because I need to grieve. And the emphasis then is on how Jesus, in spite of his own grief, turns to serve others and care for them. And so I don't want you to miss that because here the other thing is that it's not as if Jesus is going, well, I've been totally rested because you guys were out doing your thing and I don't care about how y'all feel. He's deeply grieved. And yet in this moment, he's looking at the disciples going, what do they need? And the crowd and saying, what do they need? And so it's not as if he's, indifferent to, he's, he's at a very difficult place. Now, I do want you to see here the value of rest. Jesus is saying, come away and get rest. And one of the things I wanna make sure you hear me say, because a lot of today is gonna be about saying yes to serving the Lord. And by that, I don't mean filling your plate with a thousand things. I mean going deep in one thing. What is the thing that God has called you? It might be two things, but I'm, I'm not saying life in Christ should be busy, 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 busy but rather that there is a call to serve in a way that he's go. I need you. If you don't show up, I'm, I don't have what is called for here. You gotta, you gotta come, God. You gotta move, right? The, the, in this moment now, Jesus, throughout the course of his ministry, many times says to the disciples, let's go away and have rest. Jesus himself pulls away onto the mountain. There should be a pattern of rest and restoration in your life. That is a good thing. Everybody say, you hear me, yes? Yeah. Daily pull away to be with the Lord. Weekly pull away to be with the Lord. Monthly find spaces where you go a little even more concentrated time. A rhythm of that is a good thing. So when Jesus interrupts their movement towards rest, this is not a who cares about rest. That's a normal pattern and it's a good thing. But here's the thing that this story teaches us. Jesus always has the right to interrupt our rest. Always. And you have to start from there. If we're asking the question, how do I serve in the name of Jesus at a time or place where I don't feel like I have the capacity or the means, one of the first mindsets that has to take hold of me is I have this rhythm of rest and serve and rest and serve, and that's good, but there will be times where Jesus goes, I'm going to interrupt your rest because I want you to meet a need right now, and I'm calling you to it, and my disposition then is to say, yes, you have that right. Right? You always have that right. He doesn't need my permission, but it helps if I, that's my mindset. Would you agree? So he's going to interrupt their expectation of rest. And look, that's not easy either. I talked about disappointed expectations. I'm probably never more at my worst than when I get in bed at night and my head's ready to hit the pillow and it's been a long day and then one of the kids needs something. And I'm like, oh, gotta get up out of bed. Okay, when I want rest, when I'm ready for rest and then, The need in front of me calls me away from rest. That's not easy. Now, two more things to see before we move to the next section is that compassion here, in one word, Jesus tells us why. He's not just reacting to the crowd. He's not just going, oh, the crowd shows up, therefore I just willy-nilly, the crowd can dictate my activity. What he's showing us is that compassion trumps rest in this moment. Did you see the word compassion? Remember, we talked about it in previous weeks. It's that word, that Greek word, splenizomai, which means like from the bowels. So the idea is that there's deep empathy and care in Jesus. And that's even more on display when we recognize it's not compassion for the disciples, for the faithful ones. It's compassion for the crowd because they're like sheep without a shepherd. No one's protecting them, leading them, guiding them like a shepherd should. And he feels compassion for them. But remember in Mark, And it's the same in John, that the crowd is not usually applauded. When Mark or John talk about the crowd, they're talking about the people who just are on the fringes of Jesus' ministry and kind of just want the stuff they can get from him. And then when things get hard, they're going to leave. In fact, right after this story in John, when John tells it, there's going to be this long dialogue where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And then he says some hard things, like, if you want to come to me, you're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. He's referring to his cross and saying, you must find in my death life. You must believe in me, not in my power and glory, but in my death and my lowliness. That's how you know if you really believe in me. And they're going to, the crowd is going to do what? They're going to stick around? Now they're going to leave. And remember the story of the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. What did we learn? The crowd gets in the way in Mark. Whenever you see the crowd reference, it's the people who Jesus is trying to bring forward something and they're kind of blocking the way. And here Jesus has compassion for them, for the crowd. How amazing is that? He's full of compassion, even for those who you and I might look at and go, I'm not sure they deserve it. I'm not sure they deserve it. But he is full of compassion. Now, here's the hard part. His compassion shines through. And the hard part that you and I have to do is when we're called into service to meet a need, when we have that rhythm of rest, there will always be a need to meet. There always will be a need to meet. And so sometimes pulling away to have rest will mean leaving that need for someone else to meet. And that's okay. There are other people to serve. So the discernment that we need can be hard sometimes. Like, okay, do I leave this for someone? Is this somebody else's? Or God, have you brought this to me in such a way that I need to say yes and forego the rest? You have the right to interrupt my rest. That's my mindset. Okay, I say yes, and I step into it. But other times, we go, okay, my friend or my brother, my sister, they will step into that. And I can't give you a, it's every one to three ratio or You have to discern in the spirit, and here's why I bring up the compassion of God here from the text, is because in order to be discerning about whether, okay, Lord, do I let somebody else step into that, or or do I say yes? Are you interrupting my trying to pull away into rest right now? The reason I reference compassion is because you can't be discerning in that moment unless you have compassion, unless that character trait of God, that character trait of Jesus, remember, it's not an emotional up and down, it's his nature that he's full of compassion. Unless compassion is filling me, I won't be discerning. Now let me tell you why that's, let me tell you another reason, go a little bit further why that's important. I'm not gonna go fully into the story, but I've told you the story in the past about a guy uh, lying to me and deceiving me and basically emptying my bank account. um, And I was stupid enough to give him my money. And there's a lot of things about that story that you may not remember it, but it's the story I hate telling more than any other story. Because, you know, you see all my stupidity and all its rainbow hues, okay? And there's nothing about it that makes me go, I look pretty good in that story. It's just dumb after dumb after dumb. But here's, what, here's why I tell you that story. Because at the very least, I mean, it's the only maybe admirable thing is that I, I did have compassion in that moment. There was someone in front of me. I wanted to know Jesus. And I... And I was at least full of compassion. But here's what happened after that. After I was deceived and then broke and (laughs) a lot of other things, I found myself thinking that compassion was what prevented me from being discerning. That I wasn't discerning in that moment because I had too much compassion. And so I needed to shrink that back a little bit. But what the Lord has taught me over the years is that compassion wasn't the problem. I can't be discerning without compassion. The problem was, for me, fear of man, a lack of understanding of how, to, how someone comes to salvation, that it doesn't have to do with me, that all those things allowed me to be manipulated in such a way that I wasn't discerning. It wasn't compassion that was the problem. I needed to marry that compassion with an equal dose of truth and certainty and a not worrying about people pleasing and a whole host of other things that God definitely needed to shore up and change in me. But I wanna make sure that as you think about um, when you say yes and when you say no and how you operate, that you recognize that you cannot be discerning unless you are compassionate. Don't shrink back. And listen, how many times, think about this yourself, okay? How many times have you maybe failed to be discerning Because you were, not because, but you were full of compassion for someone and therefore you affirmed something in their life that you know God did not affirm. And you did it in the name of love, you did it in the name of compassion, and you say, oh yes, that thing, that activity, that way of that lifestyle, that whatever, yes, I affirm you, but God doesn't affirm that. And you thought it was compassion, and then maybe you realized you did it and you went, oh, maybe I'm too full of compassion. Compassion wasn't the problem. It was a failure to marry compassion with truth and not fearing what somebody else might think of you. Do you see what I'm getting at? Okay, all right, so I wanna make sure you see that because there's this heavy, hard, challenging discernment work to do. Last thing by way of setup and then we're gonna move a little quicker on these next points. Did you notice that not only were the expectations disappointed, there was a really key thing that was said in the setup to this text. Things were so busy, they were coming and going, they didn't even have time to what? Did anybody notice it? To eat. What's he gonna tell them to do in just a moment? I mean, spoiler alert, because I didn't read this part yet, okay? He's gonna tell them to do what? Feed other people. Is it easy to feed someone else when you're hungry? No, man, listen, they're, they're tired, they might be a little hangry, okay? That might be going on here, and they're just like, oh my goodness, they haven't had time to eat, now you wanna feed these people? What on earth are you trying to do, Lord? And we're gonna see how that plays itself out, but here's the thing I want you to recognize. It is a good principle to say, I need to be fed by the Lord in order to then go and feed others. Would you agree with that? Yeah, of course. The overflow of my relationship with him, what he fills me with, and I can bring to bear on other people. I, I want you to hold on to that truth, because it is true. But the demands of life and ministry are such that we can't always go, oh wait, hold on, you have a need, let me pull away over here and have my needs met first and then I'll be good and now I can come back to you. Sometimes the needs are there and we have to what? Meet them. There's not always, just. can I just be as super pragmatic with y'all? You are going to, if you're gonna serve Jesus, encounter a lot of times where you feel like you have not quite been fed yet and you're gonna need to feed others. You're gonna need to step in. and, And the beauty of that is we're gonna see that he will feed you along the way and he will multiply what you have, okay? All right, so let's keep moving then through the text. But that's what I want you to see. They have not eaten. So all this is a setup for The challenge of the circumstance. All right, let's keep going. Verses 35 through 37 now. And I'm gonna call this section of the story, You Give Them Something to Eat. Verse 35 now, he says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? A I, I, little sanctified imagination here. I kind of imagine this sounds like, shall we go away and buy them 200 denarii worth of food to eat? That is two-thirds of a year's salary. Worth of bread and give it to them to eat. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. All right, so pause there. Here's what I want you to see. Uh, I think the disciples have done a good job they were serving, they come back. <coughs> Jesus says, we're going for rest. They don't get rest. They're ministering. Whatever part they're playing as he's teaching the crowd because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, they're participating. It has now gotten late. It's pretty reasonable. <coughs> Excuse me, honey, would you mind handing me that? It's pretty reasonable for them, thank you, sweetheart, to say, hey, it's, it's late, we're in a faraway place. Like If we don't send them away, it's gonna get dangerous out here They haven't had anything to eat. We need to get, we need to help them go ahead and get home. We've done a lot. And Jesus' response would, look, don't be holier than thou, okay? If he said this to you, do you know how you would react? You're like, I am wiped out. And what does he say? You give them something to eat. Are you kidding me? Enough already. There's no rest. There's no pause. There's no stop. We haven't even eaten. What do you want us to do? We don't even have the food. Their response is a rhetorical question to what they consider an impossible task that he's just given them. You give them something, oh yeah, sure. We'll just take two thirds of a year's salary out of the bank account that we don't have and we'll feed them. Here's friends, like, (laughs) in this moment, what Jesus is doing is he is pushing them past their breaking point. Because he doesn't just use our service to get things done. He uses our service to get us done. He is aiming at something in the lives of the disciples. It's very telling that he feeds the crowd. We don't have any mention that he kept teaching them or kept doing. He feeds them and then he sends them away. So what's the point? Why not just send them home a little earlier to go get their own food? Is it just so they can see this miracle? Because it doesn't go well for the crowd. They see the miracle, and then in John, he's going to chastise them for only wanting to follow him because they've seen the miracle. Who is this for? It's for the disciples. Because he's teaching them that you are going to be pushed past your breaking point so that you know that you don't have what is necessary, but I do and I will give it to you. Do you see it? That's exactly what's happening here for the, in the lives of the disciples. He's saying, hmm, you give them something to eat to push him that way. Now, let's keep moving. Verses 38 through 42 now, the kind of center of the story, the climax of the miracle, and I'm calling this section of the story multiplying in motion, all right? So here's what happens next. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now listen, this last part of the sentence is supposed to make you almost like chuckle. Because he says, and he divided the two fish among them all. Now we haven't been told yet that it's about eight thousand people, five thousand men, probably another three, four thousand others. So it's eight, nine thousand people. And he literally just said, so he divided the two fish among them. You're like what? You're supposed to kind of go. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then the and then the next thing, verse forty-two, and they all ate. Say it with me, and we're satisfied. Just that little boom, boom. The weight in the story falls right there. He divided two fish among 5,000 guys. These are dudes. Two fish ain't gonna feed them. And they all ate and were satisfied. It's gorgeous. So listen, a couple things that I want you to see as this miracle's taking place, and again, they're so helpful in terms of like, how do I serve when I don't feel like I have what... I need. Okay, so the first thing to see there is that Jesus is multiplying what the disciples have. Jesus is multiplying what the disciples have. What I mean by that is he doesn't just use it to its fullest capacity. He doesn't go, oh, five loaves, two fish. We'll just we'll we'll make that work. We'll dice it up real fine and we'll just use every inch, every ounce of what you have. He says, no, no, I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna make more of it. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna multiply it. So he doesn't just say, hey, whatever you have, I'll use it to the maximum. He says, no, no, no. Whatever you have, I'll make it have a greater impact than you could possibly imagine. So the beauty of that is, just give what you have. Just give what you have. Wherever you are, whatever the need, give what you have. And watch Jesus multiply it far beyond what you would imagine. The second thing, same sentence, different, different emphasis. Jesus multiplies what they have, not what they don't. In this miracle, Jesus doesn't say, oh yeah, five loaves and two fish, great. I'll multiply that, and I'm also gonna make some green beans and some fruit and maybe potato salad. Let me just throw a little bit of extra, and they'd be like, well, that came out of nowhere. No, no, he makes more fish, and he makes more bread, as if to say, you don't need something you don't have. If you think, well, I don't have that gift to give, I don't have that skill set to give, give what you have. You don't need to be something different than what you are to meet the need that God places in front of you. Take what you have and give it, and He will multiply it, and it doesn't have to be something different. You hear me? Isn't that comforting? (laughs) Oh, okay, I don't have to be a genius scholar. I don't have to be the most well-trained evangelist. I, I don't have to be the most winsome or the most extroverted. Or No, no, take what you have and give it. Third thing we see is that the, Jesus multiplies the food as the disciples are on the move. I want you to imagine how this miracle would have looked if Jesus said, okay, bring the fish and loaves, boom. And now we've got tables and tables full and the disciples are just carrying it and just going, I, we can't do this. Now the problem is we have too much. The story doesn't exactly tell us, but if he had multiplied it all right then, enough food for 5,000 people is more than 12 men can carry. So I imagine what's taking place is he goes, here's your basket, go feed them. And then as they go, the food is multiplied. Every time, just like, the, just like the widow in the Old Testament who she just there was always a little bit more oil. Just enough. Remember Elijah and the widow, right? There's just enough. I imagine it's more like that. Now, granted, it doesn't say I'm kind of conjecturing there, but I think it's fair just practically to say, I'm imagining that he broke some off into every basket, and as they walked, every time someone reached in to get more, there was more. There was more. There was more. There was more. He worked the miracle through their hands in a way that they could actually participate, they could actually carry it. So Jesus multiplies what we have as we go. So what's the takeaway from that? Don't say, I'll go after you multiply it. Move, go, get going. You will, dis- you will watch him multiply as you're on the move. I don't imagine too often, at least it hasn't been my experience, That we go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I see the need. You want me to meet it? I'll just sit back here, and then once you've multiplied the 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 resources, then I'll go. I haven't found too often that he does that, but you know what I've seen again and again and again and again, as I've watched people go, and I've watched there always be enough. Fourth thing we see here is that Jesus loves to feed people through his people. He loves to put the food in the hands of his people and say, here you go, you feed them. Listen, Jesus could have multiplied this and done done the golden corral thing, right? Come on up, buffet line, here we go. Everybody file by, get as much as you want. There's plenty, I multiplied it all, I put it up here, but he doesn't do that, does he? Everyone would have been like, man, Jesus, you're amazing. Same point about Jesus' power to multiply would have been made, agreed? Yeah, could have done that. Could have golden corralled it, but he doesn't. He just says, Do we have, do we own a golden corral? All right, good. Had a moment where I was like, Is that just from where I'm from or what? I haven't been to Hosses. Is that a file by? It is? Okay. Yeah, I'm probably never going there. (laughs) I don't really know. So, listen, he could have done it that way, but he doesn't. Does he? Who does he put it in the hands of? The disciples. As they move, puts it in their hands. Do you know that he loves to feed people through you? He loves to. He loves to feed people through. He wants to put his food, his resources in your hands and have you go and watch people's needs be met and cared for and his compassion move through you. When you're thinking, I don't know if I have enough, would you remember for me that Jesus has designed it so that he feeds people through you? That's how he's designed this to work. He doesn't, he can do miracles and just feed people and nobody's around, absolutely. But I I just don't find that he does that that much. It's his delight and his design to feed people through our hands. You think the disciples might've gotten that a little bit here? You're gonna find later in the story that they don't get it. (laughs) Last thing here in terms of like, as Jesus is multiplying, that I want you to see, is that not just that he multiplies it on the move, not just that he feeds people, but that he himself is the food. So did you notice that it says he took the bread and he broke it and he held it up and he blessed it? Yeah, there's a moment, there's another moment in the scriptures that looks an awful lot like that. Can you think of what it is? It's the Last Supper. It's what we're gonna do here in just a moment. We're gonna remember the death of Jesus. Jesus is breaking the bread And he's pointing towards almost an homage to the Last Supper. And in the same way where he's going to say, this is my body. I am true food. In John chapter 6, after this miracle, he says to them, I am the bread. You're saying give us bread. I'm saying to you, I am the bread. That's what I want you to see. So friends, always remember to feed people Jesus. It is so good to meet people's practical needs in the name of Jesus, yes and amen, but the true food that every person needs is Jesus. He is food. His death, his resurrection, so that we'd be set free from sin and death is the greatest need of every human being and everything we do is to point people to that true food. We feed a hungry person physically. It's so that we can also feed them spiritually and help them to see Jesus. He is true food. All right. The story ends with a really sweet gift, with a really, really sweet gift. Look with me at verse 43. I'm calling this 12 baskets full, okay? One verse. And, well, we'll do 44 too because he wraps it up there. But they all ate and were satisfied. Verse 42, now 43. 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So there we get the numerical, you know, somewhere around eight, 9,000 people probably. But what did he say there at the very end? It's not an add-on. It's very intentional. He's been focused on the disciples and saying, you feed them, you give them something to eat. He puts the food in their hands. How many disciples are there? There's 12. How many basketfuls were there? 12. What is Jesus showing the disciples? I will provide. What were they? What, what was there not enough time to do for the disciples when he said, you give them something to eat? What had they not gotten to do? Hadn't gotten to eat. And Jesus provides a feast. He and see here, I don't just use you to get stuff done because I have compassion for them. I love you. I have compassion for you, and as you feed in my name and serve, I will provide. I will feed you. You don't have to worry that you will feed, and, then, and the Lord will just neglect you. He cares for you as you serve him. That's why there's 12 basketfuls left over at the end. Every disciple would have been holding that basket as an object lesson of the provision of Jesus and the power of Jesus, yes? Imagine it, imagine it. You saw the five loaves and the two fish and you went out with a a little bit in your basket, just a little bit, and it just kept being enough and it just kept being enough and it just kept being enough and, and you go collect afterwards and you have a basket that is now full What is going through your mind? You fed me. There's enough. Okay? You might might feel like, well, they're gross leftovers that slimy hands have been on. But it was God's good provision. Okay? Friends, as you go, he'll multiply. As you serve, when you feel like you don't have what you need, give what you have and watch him do it. Let's pray together, and then we come to the Lord's table. Servers, you can come. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for working this miracle through your son, Jesus. You are good. We thank you for the power of the son, that he could work this, and we thank you for his wisdom to work it in such a way that it just, on so many levels, teaches us about who you are and how we can trust you and why we should follow you. We come to your table now. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, as I said, it's fitting that we come to the Lord's table. We do this regularly as a body if you're new with us. And these elements, they represent the body of the Lord Jesus on the cross given for us in payment for sin to make atonement for our sin. And his blood shed on the cross for us. And so church family, the reminder every time as we come to the Lord's table is that we take it seriously, not lightly. And so as we hold the elements in our hands, we also hold our lives before the Lord and we say, Lord, is there any harmful way in me? Search me and know my heart. See if there's any hurtful way in me. Anything you want to change in me, anything I I need to go make right, I commit now to go do that. So we take that seriously. Pray that you would. Those of you who are not followers of Jesus yet, I mean, we always say you're in the right place because we love for you to explore faith in Jesus and try to craft spaces so that can happen here. Um, but we'll ask you to let these elements pass by because in this moment, we always say it is we, we don't want you to proclaim something with your actions that you don't actually believe. And so until the day that you say, man, I believe, I give myself to Jesus. Until that day, we'll just let you, ask you to make this time now a time of reflection, time of considering Jesus' call towards you, his invitation to you. But let these elements pass by so that you would Pray, honor the Lord in that way that you wouldn't partake just yet. So service come and let's partake together.